Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Real quick, before we jump in, um, does anybody have any questions from this morning? Uh, And I want you guys to know that uh, uh, this talk, this talk that we're getting ready to jump into, um, I'm going to invite some conversation, so we'll do that independent of what I'm asking you right now. But does anybody have any questions from this morning, something you're confused about, maybe even something that uh, maybe you disagreed with, or who knows? Um, I don't want you to feel like I'm threatened by your questions. I'm I'm eager to invite them. Uh, Does anybody have any questions, concerns, thoughts? That's a little man down in the front. No way, Jose. We're not going to deny Noah. What do you want to know, Noah? What do you want to ask? You want to know about God? Okay, well, we're going to learn a little bit about God, and we're going to learn a lot about what God's doing. How old are you, Noah? You're five? All right. Six. Is it, is it six? Or is it six? You should see his face. Six? Okay. Well, no questions asked. Um, let's dive in. Let's talk this evening <clears throat> about what is the task remaining. So this morning, um, I thought Gary had a question. He's just waving at the people across the way from him. Uh, this morning, um, we looked at two things. One, I wanted to give you guys a, what we might call a biblical theology of missions from Genesis to Revelation. A lot of times when it comes to global missions, we sort of relegate that to a New Testament idea that's sort of summarized in the Great Commission. But my whole point in the very first sermon was to show you guys that this is a cover-to-cover thing. And my hope and prayer um, was that God would do in you what he did in me uh, 13 years ago whenever I heard that message, that you would realize that God has a heart for all nations. Uh, this is not a secondary issue. Um, it is a primary issue. God is fulfilling his purpose through a promise that he made to Abraham to bless all nations. And the way that he's doing that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when people put their faith and trust in Christ, uh, they come into God's kingdom. And so God is gathering a people to himself from all peoples. Uh, and so, and then in part two, um, we talked about excuses and obstacles that we deal with with regards to involvement, whether that's going, whether that's sending, um, both and, obstacles that stand in the way. And we could have spent a whole nother hour talking about a, another seven or eight obstacles that maybe stand in the way for some of us. Um, but specifically tonight, we're going to talk about the task remaining. Um, what is the task remaining in world evangelism? Okay, so that's what we're talking about is taking the gospel to the rest of the world. Um, So what is the task remaining in world evangelism? By a show of hands real quick, how many folks do I have in the room that are, have a military background or associated with the military? What's, what's my, okay, raise them high. Okay, this is gonna, this is very helpful for me. Okay, so you either have a military background or Um, You're here because of the military uh, in San Diego. Um, We're going to talk about the task remaining. 
And the way I'm going to start it, the way I'm going to frame our time is by telling a story to you guys uh, at a church that I was actually visiting um, up in Bakersfield. You guys know where Bakersfield is, right? You Californians call it the armpit of California. <coughs> um, that's what I've been told anyways. And so I was actually teaching um, at a church in Bakersfield. It was probably three years ago now. And it was at a missions conference, much like this. And we did a Sunday morning service. And then Sunday afternoon, uh, they asked me to come back and speak for an hour. And they said, you can, you can talk about whatever you want um, during the, the evening hour. Anything I want. Well, you know, let's talk about the Trinity. No, 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 no. Missions-wise. So okay, so we'll talk about missions. So what ended up happening was, is it actually ended up turning into, it was supposed to go from five to six. And it ended up turning into a two-hour question and answer session. And so the Lord took it in a direction I didn't plan on going. And what ended up happening was I just, I did the same thing with them that I did with you guys just now. I said, does anybody have uh, any questions from this morning? And the hands started to go up, you know, and different people had different questions. And we started to kind of open some can of worms, if you will, with regards to their questions. And what ended up happening was, was one gentleman in the back raised his hand. And I think in sincerity, he said, uh, you know, you were talking about God's heart for the nations and unreached peoples. But what, what is the church supposed to do, for example, about widows and orphans? Right? So aren't we supposed to be engaged in um, reaching out to widows and orphans? But in a sense, how would you answer that question, church? Sure. But in a sense, what was this guy asking? What's that? Yeah shouldn't, we be, yeah, shouldn't we be taking care of our widows and orphans? That's a biblical idea, too, just like going to the ends of the earth, you know, so a person certainly can't argue with that. Okay, so yeah, there was, I think there was some of that going on. Um, here's what he was really asking. The more time we spent together and the more time we started peeling back the onion, the question that we began to ask as a group, a Sunday evening group, was... Well, you're telling me that we should be involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, but doesn't the Bible also tell me that we should be engaged in reaching out to widows and orphans? Isn't, aren't both of those things church work? Aren't both of those things ministry that we should be involved in? And so the question that we came to was this, and I'm going to ask you guys the same question this evening, not because I'm going to bait and switch anybody, but because it's important. The question we ended up coming to was, what is the mission of the church? Right? What is, what is the mission of the church? Is, is, is it, is, should we be reaching out to widows and orphans? Is that the mission of the church? Or should we be taking the gospel to unreached people groups and to the ends of the earth? Is that the mission of the church? What, what is the mission of the church? So we'll have fun with this. And I'll ask you guys the same question. How might you answer that question? What is the mission of the church? What do you think? Oh, here we go. Hang on just a minute. Let's take them by hands, okay? If you want to, yes, ma'am. Okay, and your name? Say it again. Linda. Okay, so Linda said spread the good news of the gospel, okay? I think that's true. John? None of the above, John says. Okay. So, John says it's to bring glory to God's name. So, is it doxological would be the fancy way to say that, I guess? Is that, which way is it? I can't remember. 
See a lot? Anyways, okay, John says to bring glory to God's name. We're just going to leave it there. In the back? What's that? Okay, grow the church. Gail? Okay. Gail says use our spiritual gifts. In the front? All the above? Okay. Yes, ma'am. To know God and to make him known. All right. Sir? Develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's that? That's good answer. Good answer. Yes. Yes. Whatever you say, yes. <laughs> Develop fully devoted followers of Jesus. Okay. No. <laughs> he's not claiming it. He's just proclaiming it. Um, okay. Other thoughts? Yeah. Your name, ma'am? Janet. Okay, Janet, what do you think? First commandment? Hmm. Sir. So the mission of the church is to support the one of the missions of the church is to support the believers, support the body. Okay. Yeah. Follow Christ. Follow me, he said. Class dismissed. We're done. Okay. <laughs> Follow me. Follow Christ. Gary. To gain more worshipers around the throne. Hmm. I like it. You guys are like, agree with the pastor. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Support the secretary. Is that right? <laughs> Support the secretary. <laughs> For those of you over here who couldn't hear it. Support the secretary. Yeah, that's the mission of the church. You guys are fun. I'm glad. Yes. The KISS theory. Okay, tell me about this. Keep it simple, stupid. You didn't want to say that part, right? I said it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, spreading the word. Okay. Now, um, what do you learn from our little one question what do you learn from our little one question exercise? Maybe it's a broad mission. Maybe it's complex. Diversity of thoughts. Maybe it's not either or. What else do you learn from our little exercise? Okay. What's that? Okay. Outward focus. Yeah, outward focus. Okay. Um, we are not, we are not going to argue about whether your answers are right or wrong. 
Okay, I'm not going to tell you which one is or isn't right or wrong. That's not the point. Uh, my point in asking the question is this. My point in answering the question is this. We will never finish what we cannot define. Did you catch that? If we're going to talk about the task remaining, what are we talking about? We're talking about finishing something that's what? Left. We're talking about finishing something that's left. So I'm not going to get into an argument with you guys about whether, you know, no, John, it's not about bringing glory to God. No, it's not about spreading the gospel to, to the world. It's not about spreading. We're not going to argue about that. The reason I bring this up is to say we will never finish what we cannot clearly define. If we do not know what the task is, if we are unclear on what is the mission, we have no hope of ever finishing the work. You with me? And the reason I ask kind of who, served, who has served or who is serving in the military um, is because for those of you who have served in the military, uh, you are able to finish an assignment because you have clear what? You have clear instructions. You have a clear mission. It's just a really easy jump off to, 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 to use the military to say, man, you are able to finish a task. You're able to finish an assignment because you've been given clear instructions about what to do and what is the mission, if you will. So... Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to define for you guys what is the mission of the church. You may not agree with me, but if I were to ask you, where do you think we might, well, let me back up and say this, who defines the mission of the church? Uh, yes, that's right. It is not a trick question. Okay, God defines the mission of the church, and where do we find that definition? Okay, in the Bible, and what does the Bible say the mission is? Now, what I didn't tell you guys this morning was that these words right here that we call the Great Commission, these are actually the last words that we have on record that Jesus spoke before he went back up to heaven to be with the Father. Now, he, there's, there's a 40-day period of time, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. Did you catch that? Post-resurrection, so after the resurrection, before the ascension back to heaven, there's a 40-day period of time, Acts 1-3 tells us, where Jesus manifested himself to the disciples, and Paul says upwards of 500 people in 1 Corinthians 13, or what is it, 15, something like that, 1 Corinthians 15. And all we have on record, okay, I suspect that Jesus said a lot during those 40 days, but all we have on record that he gave to the church, here's your marching orders. Okay, this is the last sermon series that Jesus preached. Last words are not wasted words. He wanted to be very clear, very intentional. And so what does he say the church's marching orders are? Make disciples of all nations, as Gary introduced. Man, we want to make disciples and we want to do it well, but we don't want to, right? We don't want to, um, we don't want to just do that halfway with regards to just doing it with our neighbors. Jesus said, do it with all what? Nations, go into all the world. Forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all nations. I'm sending you as the Father sent me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is where we get 
clear marching orders as to what the church's mission is. I didn't say it. I didn't decide it. I didn't determine it. Who did? Jesus did. Now, as we work through this, I'm going to try to weave in, not all, but some of the answers that you guys gave to the question of what is the mission of the church. Okay, I'm going to do my best to try to weave some of those answers in and show you how those answers connect to what I'm saying the Bible clearly tells us is the mission of the church. So try to hang with me, okay? Try to hang with me. I don't know a lot of Greek. Um, I know just enough Greek to sound smart and be real dangerous. <laughs> Uh, but if you take that word nations, right, go make disciples of all the nations there in Matthew 28, and you translate it out of English back into Greek, which is what the Bible, the New Testament was originally written in, the word that you get is ethnos, or depending on whether it's plural or singular, it may be ethne, or it may be pontata ethne, um, and I don't like to use a lot of Greek sometimes because it... Uh, guy that mentored me is like, hey, your job is not to snow people over. <laughs> it's to clarify things and help them understand. So I show you this to say, when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, what he really meant was go make disciples of all what? Ethnos. So what word does ethnos look like in the English language? Ethnic. Okay, so honestly, maybe something a little bit more helpful, and I don't want you to doubt the translation of your Bible, but something that's probably a little more helpful would be something along the lines of go make disciples of all ethnic groups. And here's the reason why, as English speakers, that's, that distinction is critical. Because when we think of nations, what things come to mind? Like what? Borders, exactly, okay? So nation-state borders like China, Laos, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Venezuela, you with me? Like, when Jesus said these words right here 2,000 years ago, we didn't have lines on the map. Those didn't exist. And so what Jesus is really after is go make disciples of all ethnic groups. That's what a nation is, biblically speaking. So what is an ethnos or an ethnic group? Well, it's a race, a tribe, specifically a non-Jewish one. Um, you might see in the Bible the word Gentile, heathen, a nation, or a people group. So you've heard me using this word peoples. And some of you are thinking, he must have terrible English. We don't pluralize the word people. It's, so what is peoples? A peoples or a people group is a what? Ethnic group. All right? It's an ethnic group. And Jesus says, go make disciples of all of them. Now, here's what that looks like visually. Here's Nigeria. Nigeria is a nation state. So, um, Matt, can I pick on you? Okay. <laughs> That's why I ask. He's got an opportunity to, to opt out. <laughs> Brian? Okay. No, he's like, no, you can. Um, I'll pick on either one of you. Um, Matt, so let's say that Matt <clears throat> is uh, the next Billy Graham. And this guy is a phenomenal evangelist. And when Matt shares the gospel, people come to Christ in droves. Um, I mean, when he opens his mouth and preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit blesses it, uses it, and people get saved and come into the kingdom. So let's say that Matt is the next Billy Graham, and what we're going to do is we're going to put a parachute on Matt's back, we're going to fly him over Nigeria, and we're going to kick him out of an airplane. Some of you are like, I love this idea. Um, and we're going to parachute him into Nigeria. So he hits the ground in Nigeria, pulls off his parachute pack, and Matt starts preaching the gospel. Right? The next Billy Graham has just landed in Nigeria. How long do you guys think it's going to take for Nigeria to get reached with the gospel? What do you think? 
Okay, uh, and your name? Morgan says a long time, okay? If it's Matt, maybe a week, maybe two days, okay? Okay, how long is it going to take? Here's the deal. I'll just tell you guys up front. It's a trick question. The answer is never. No matter how good of an evangelist Matt is, even if he's the next Billy Graham, we parachute him into Nigeria and he starts preaching the gospel, it, he's never going to reach all of Nigeria. And here's why. Because this is not what Nigeria really looks like. This is what Nigeria really looks like. There are over 450 ethnic groups in Nigeria alone. You with me? 450 plus. That's just Nigeria. We're going to start we're going to talk about some other countries here in a minute. So here's why this matters because if we drop Matt into let's say this ethnic group right here, right? It's not a, I don't even know what you call that shape. We'll just call it an, a weird square. <laughs> we drop Matt into that weird square and he starts to preach the gospel. What's going to end up happening is is it's going to hit a boundary marker as the gospel moves north. It's going to hit another boundary gospel or another boundary marker when the gospel moves east, west and south. What kind of boundary markers am I talking about? Well, it's going to hit a what? A language barrier. So what makes up an ethnic group primarily, not only, but primarily is that they speak a different language. So there may be cultural barriers, there may be demographic barriers, there may be geographical barriers, there may be religious barriers, all these different cultural things, right? <clears throat> Socioeconomics, uh, religion, geography, history, all those things make up an ethnic group. But the primary thing that separates one ethnic group from another is that they speak a different, and you said it right here, ma'am? Language, your name? Estelle, they speak a different language. So what's going to happen is it doesn't matter how good Matt is at preaching the gospel. Because as he preaches the gospel and it starts to move north, boom, it's going to hit a language barrier. As it moves east, boom, it's going to hit a geographical barrier. As it moves west, it might hit a religious barrier. As it moves south, it may hit a socioeconomic barrier. And so primarily what's going to have to happen is, is in order for the gospel to move out of this thing <laughs> into this thing, which is kind of like a cashew, but not really, <laughs> a kidney, if you will. You tracking with me? In order for it to move out of the square into the kidney, what's going to have to happen? You guys are never going to forget this. What's going to have to happen? If an ethnic group is primarily defined by one speaking this language and this one speaking another language, what's going to have to happen for the gospel to jump the line? someone's going to have to learn a new language. You with me? Thank you, Noah. My, my biggest fan right down, there in the, right down there in the splash zone. I love it. Okay? Yes. No, you're okay. Yep. Oh, interesting. Were you here this morning? Some of you need to hang out with her. <laughs> what happened this morning? This is, this is critical. Your name? Danielle. Danielle's like, wait a minute. Back at Genesis chapter 11, didn't we go from one language to what? Many languages so that, he couldn't like, so that they couldn't communicate with each other? 
Answer? And so now here we are, and what's Sean telling us? No, we're going to have to communicate with each other. So what's going on there? What's up with that dynamic? That's a phenomenal question. Very insightful. What's going on? God goes from one language to multiple languages so that they can't talk to each other. And now here we are, well, a few millennia later, with this command to go breach the gospel to all these different language groups. Hmm. Why did God do it that way? What's that? <laughs> okay. What's that? I love it. Remind me your name again. That's perfect. Are you guys together? <laughs> Lisa? Lisa? Okay. <laughs> oh, Lisa's over here. Why do you do it that way? What? It's, and I love it, Linda. He messed it up. Why didn't he fix it? Just raw honesty. Okay? Yeah. He wanted to what? Show his glory and his power. Why do we go from one language to multiple languages where they can't talk to each other, and now we're given this command to go preach the gospel where we have to talk to one another in a language that we can't speak? If Anybody in here try to learn a different language? Okay, anybody speak more than one language in here? Right, I speak one, American. <coughs> Espanol, right? Okay, <coughs> true story. Sorry, Lisa. I failed... Lisi, I'll get it. I'll get it eventually. I failed. Okay, listen, I failed Spanish. And they use most of the same letters. How dependent upon God do you think I've got to be to learn a language where they don't even use the same letters? They're just characters, like Mandarin. You think... You think I move into a place of dependency when I'm trying to learn a new language and communicate to someone the most powerful truth on the planet? When you try to learn a new language and share the gospel in a different cultural context, you get real dependent upon God. He designed it that way to show us our need and to display his power in pulling off the mission. It's a brilliant question. All of it is intentional in God's purpose. He made all these languages, and now he says, go reach each other even though you can't talk to each other. Get on your knees, and you'll depend upon me in order to see it happen. And then you won't get the glory. Who will? I will. And so, <clears throat> good question. Bit of a rabbit trail, but good question. So here's why it matters. Jesus is not saying, go make disciples of all Nigeria. He's saying, go make disciples of every single what? Ethnic group of Nigeria. So what just happened to the task remaining? It just got real big. Really, for some of us, it just got really overwhelming. The thought of this idea of, man, Jesus wants disciples of all 450 of them? Answer? Yes. So what is a people group? 
it's the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering obstacles of understanding or acceptance. That's kind of wordy, so let me slow down and read it to you again. It's the largest group of people within which the gospel can spread before it's going to encounter a what? An obstacle or a barrier to its understanding and acceptance. The primary barrier that it's going to encounter is what? Language. It's not the only one, but it's the primary one. You with me? Any questions so far? So who defines the mission of the church? Jesus. Where do we find it? In the Bible. And what is it? To go and make disciples of all what? Nations. What is a nation? An ethnic group. What defines an ethnic group? They speak a different language. So, I love you, Noah. Okay? How many people groups are there in the world today? Well, we estimate somewhere between 16 and 17,000 ethnic groups. There are anthropologists, cultural anthropologists, that study these things. Some of them aren't even Christians, but they study these ethnic groups or these people groups. And we've come up with a number of about 16 to 17,000. So all the way, just to take it all the way back to the beginning, right there in the Tower of Babel, when we go from one language to multiple languages, actually, <clears throat> if you look in Genesis 10, this is important, I'm not trying to wow you with my biblical knowledge, but this is really helpful to understand. If you look back in chapter 10, and you go home and do this later tonight, and you count the names of the clans, the tribes, however your Bible describes them. If you count the list of names that are in Genesis 10, don't ask me why they're out of order. But we go from one clan, one tribe, one language to multiple clans, multiple tribes, multiple languages. And Genesis 10 tells us the names of the 70 language groups that God creates out of the Tower of Babel. So I didn't have time to tell you this this morning, but we go from one to actually 70. And from those 70 language groups that we find listed in Genesis 10 that are describing the results of Genesis 11, from those 70, we get the 16 to 17,000 ethnic groups that we have today. And God was going to pick one of those language groups out of the 70. Which one was it? We talked about who it was this morning. Israel, the Hebrews, the Eber people. God picks those one people and through them he's going to reach the nations. He's going to bring the Messiah and that one nation is going to be the method, the means through which the gospel is eventually going to make its way back to the other 69, which today has become how many? 16 to 17 thousand right this is a little this talks a little statistically heavy but but hang with me so out of those 16 to 17,000 roughly 7,000 of them are what we would consider to be unreached okay unreached <clears throat> what do I mean by unreached then let me even take it one step further out of the 7,000 5,874 of them live inside that box called the 1040 window that I talked to you about this morning. So 16,000 people groups, roughly 7,000 are unreached in the whole world. 
and about 5,800 of them are concentrated in that little box called the 1040 window. Does anybody have any questions at this point? I'm willing to stop because this is a little technical and a little heady. Okay, and I might postpone it, but go ahead and ask. Go ahead. Yep, absolutely. So actually, I'll turn it back to you guys. We'll see how well you were listening this morning. What is the 1040 window and where does it get its name? Someone give it loud and proud to our, what's that? Okay, the two latitudes that make it up are based upon the 10th degree north latitude. So think equator zero, 10th degree north latitude, and then 40 degree. And it's essentially this little box that is the last remaining people groups that we need to take the gospel to as the church. Does that make sense? It, it, it is a designated place in the world that Christians have come up with to try to figure out what is the task remaining, just to take it back to where we started. We're talking about what is the task remaining? What do we have left to finish? And we can't finish it if we can't define it. Okay, so this kind of gives us a boundary marker of where we still need to take the name of Jesus to these, to these people inside this box, these people groups inside this box. Now, um, Gary? Yep. Yes. So that's why I put up these two, two statistics. That's a mouthful. Is <laughs> because about 7,000 of those people, those 7,000 that are unreached, they're all over the world. 5,800 of them are in the box. So there's another, what, 1,200 roughly that are outside of that box in other parts of the world. They might be in uh, South America. They might be uh, in Australia. They might be in South Africa. You tracking with me? Okay, so, but the primary concentration is in that box. That's the only reason I bring up that focus is because I'm trying to bring clarity to what is the task. What is the task? So if I were to ask you, what do you think I mean when I say the word unreached? This is another clarifying question that we need to all be on the same page about. What do you guys think when I say unreached people groups? Sir. Okay, that's part of it. That's exactly right. So there's no church there among that people group that speaks. Okay, good. Good. They've never, okay, that's half of it. They've never heard the name of Jesus. That's exactly right. They might not have a Bible in their language, which, be, which would be another way of saying they haven't heard because they don't have a local church there. So might not have a Bible in their language. Okay, there's no one among those people group, that people group who can tell them about Jesus. All these answers are right. Let me zero it down for you. All of those are right. They don't have access to the gospel. So just think, when I say unreached, they don't have access. They can't say yes to Jesus even if they wanted to because he's not what? available to them. They cannot access him. Why? Because there's no Bible in their language and no one speaks their language well enough to tell them about Jesus. And what does Paul say in Romans 10, 17? That faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. You with me? 
So they can't read about him. They can't hear about him because there's no Bible in their language. So they don't have access to him. It's not as though. Oftentimes we look at the rest of the world and sometimes the church thinks, oh, all those people over there, they don't want Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. They don't have any Jesus to what? Reject. There's no Jesus to reject. To say it another way, a lot of times the church in the U.S., we kind of get wound up about Jesus' second coming. We write lots of books about it. Okay, and I think that eschatology, that's a $10 seminary word that means end times stuff. We talk a lot about eschatology here in the U.S. And the reality is about a third of the world's population has never even heard of Jesus' first coming. We're all over here talking about when's Jesus going to come back. And that little part of the world right there, a lot of them don't even know he what? Showed up. You see the difference? So let me simplify it again. When I say unreached, that means no what? No access. So let me ask you a question. And before you answer, think carefully. Are there unreached people in San Diego? Oh, this is always fun. <laughs> yes, no. Okay, now let's, 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 let's unpack it. Let's hash it out. Your name? Frank. Frank says what? They have a- Tell me how they have access, Frank. You're right. They at least have what, Frank? Access to it. Okay? Now, if you want to really split hairs... Are there people in San Diego from other countries who have, come in here, who have come here who can't speak English, who don't have a Bible in their language, that would qualify as somebody unreached? Yes, if you really want to get down to brass tacks. But for the most part, okay, I see some people over here going, yeah, see, I just want to make sure he knows that. <laughs> okay, I got it. But for the most part, everyone in the U.S. has what, Frank? Access. They can go to a church. They don't even have to go to a church. They might not even hear the gospel in the church. There's a lot of churches that aren't even preaching the gospel. Okay, but bottom line, they can go to a bookstore. Doesn't even have to be a Christian bookstore. And they can buy what? The Bible. In what language? English. And they can read it. So, are they unsaved? Yes. But that's not the same as unreached. Are unreached people unsaved people? Yes. But the difference is they do not have access. I'll stop again. Any questions? I'm going to take this over. Sorry. <laughs> okay. This is called the 1040 window. Now, this morning, <clears throat> I brought up this question of, and it was, you know, for some of you, you're like, hmm, I got to think about that. I brought up this question of, if everything is missions, then what? Nothing is missions. So I want you to be asking yourself that question as we kind of walk through the rest of the content of this talk. I just want to pause and throw that back into your brain. If everything is missions, then nothing is missions because we're trying to get a clear definition of what is the task remaining. We can't finish it if we can't define it. So we're trying to define terms, 1040 window, unreached peoples, nations, ethnic groups. Some of this is new content for you, and that's good. It's fine. 
So if the people inside of this box right here do not believe in Jesus, then what do they believe in? Well, there are five major non-Christian religious views. There's lots of sects and splinters and diversions of that, but there are five major non-Christian religious views in the world, and they actually spell, you know, kind of gave it away here, they actually spell the word what? Thumb. So everybody hold up your thumb. If you don't have one, your neighbor probably does, okay? That's actually going to come back to bite me someday. I'm just waiting, okay? Some of you didn't want to participate. Where's your thumbs? Come on. Okay, hold up your thumb. So it spells this acronym THUMB, and the T stands for tribal people. So when we're thinking of if the people inside that box don't believe in Jesus, then what do they believe in? Well, tribal people is one of the five major world religious views outside of Christianity. Now, some of you guys, when I say tribal people, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably something like this picture. National Geographic, okay, and I'm not making mockery of this, I'm being serious. National Geographic, half-clothed, paint on the face, bones through the nose. And you're looking at this picture and you're thinking, well, what does tribal people have to do with me? I'm probably not going to see somebody in San Diego walking around like this, right? Somebody like, you haven't been in San Diego long, you need to stay around a little longer. <laughs> um, we got people like this all over. Uh, when I say tribal people, this is what I'm talking about. Ends of the earth, uh, cut off, in the bush. Um, most of them you can't get to by a car drive. You got a boat in, hike in. Um, tribal people, what do we know about tribal people? Well, what do they believe? They believe in a religious view called animism. Okay, animism. So I say tribal people, and you, you want to go, well, what do what tribal people believe? They believe in animism. And animism, in the most general term speaking, okay, I'm speaking in very simple terms. Animism is the belief that spirits uh, live in everything. They reside in everything. They believe in this spirit world where the spirits might live in people. They might live in inanimate objects. And all of life for the tribal person, is about appeasing all of these different spirits. So you got to perform the right ritual in order to appease the spirits. Very works-based. In fact, if you really start unpacking it, a lot, of, a lot of Christianity fleshes itself out in the forms of, of animism. It's interesting. That's a topic in and of itself. So they believe in animism. <clears throat> Here's why it matters. There's about 250 to 300 million tribal people on the planet that we're aware of today okay 250 300 million not very many people are tribal people uh, for some of my math majors in the room 250 million to 300 million about what percentage is that of the world's population 7 billion people what's that Okay, it's a little on the low side it's a you're it's a little we're upwards of like two three but yeah so Tribal people, like bodies-wise, we're only talking about 3% of the world's population. Po like, are you with me whenever I say bodies? You know what I'm talking about? Like, people count. There really aren't that many of them on the planet. However, <clears throat> out of the 6,900 languages that are spoken in the world... 5,100 of them are tribal languages. Which means that 3% of the 
of the world's population speaks 71% of the world's languages. Did you catch that? We look at this, and if we're talking about, I do not want you to get lost in the weeds. If we're talking about finishing the task, then what this means is we're taking the gospel to this religious group. Now, within the tribal people group, we're talking 1,500 different languages. So you're talking this little, little small percentage of people on the planet that speak 71% of the languages in the world. And what primarily defines one ethnic group from another? Go ahead. Yep. <clears throat> right, okay, so I was waiting for this. <clears throat> I knew this was going to come up. So earlier I said that there's about 16,000 ethnic groups in the world, right, that are primarily defined by what? Language, not only defined by language. So this is where it gets a little complicated. It's a good, good question. And then I just turned around and said out of the 6,900 languages, so somebody who's tracking with me over here is going, wait a minute, you said 16,000 ethnic groups and 6,900 language groups. The math doesn't seem to add up. It's not only a language that defines a people group, but it's the primary thing. So does that help answer your question? For those of you who got lost in that, don't worry, you can talk to me later and I'll clarify. <clears throat> Point being, why this, why this religious group is so significant for us to get our minds wrapped around, if we're going to talk about finishing the task, is we got to talk about taking the gospel <clears throat> to these people right here. And although they make up a small number of people, they make up a significant portion of the task remaining. 3% of the world's population speaking 71% of the world's languages. Now, remember, I told you guys I failed Spanish, right? <clears throat> and they use a lot of the same letters. Tribal people, most of them, they don't even have a written language. Some of them haven't even ever seen a pencil or a piece of paper in their life. Not all of them, but some of them. So to go learn one of these languages, what's going to have to happen? You're not just going to roll in there, right? Rosetta Stone, that dude. <laughs> Boom. Jesus. And you're certainly not going to roll in there and drop in some gospel tracks. What are you going to have to do? You're going to have to learn the language. However, most of these languages among tribal people, they're not even written down. It's all oral. <laughs> they don't even know what an alphabet is. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to go live with them and learn their language and their culture and then you're going to have to once you can proficiently learn their language then you're going to have to do what you're going to have to create an alphabet and you're going to have to write it down oh and now that you've got an alphabet and you got words and you got sentences you're going to have to turn it around and teach it to them hey by the way you know this is what you speak can you even imagine that like somebody holding this thing open and being like all right now this is what you've been saying for a few thousand years this is what it looks like. And then once you teach it to them, and they understand it, now you can sort of finally start getting around to preaching the gospel. Oh, and now some of these people believe in it. And so you got a church. But remember, the commission, the Great Commission is to make... So now you got to train them and feed them. 
But how do you train them and feed them if they don't have a... So now you're going to have to take their language, which you've learned, which you've written down, which you've taught them, which you've now preached to them the gospel in. You're now going to have to translate the scripture into their language so that you can disciple them and train them and build them up so that they can reach their widows, they can reach their orphans, they can do the ministry that the church is called to do among its own what? People. You tracking with me? We're going over there to plant churches so that they can do the ministry of building up and equipping the what? Saints. That's the mission of the church, is planting churches so that they can do what we do among our own, that they can do among their own. All of that process of learning their language, writing it down, teaching them how to understand it, translating the scriptures, planting a church, and discipling them takes you how long, Carl? Roughly... 15 to 20 years. Some of you are like, well, honey, <laughs> let's go home and watch the last 10 minutes of the Charger game. <laughs> I am not interested in that. What this means is that someone is going to have to have a long-term address change. You cannot microwave this thing. And it is so countercultural to the way that we do things in America when it comes to ministry. I just drop in there and share the gospel with them. You don't even know if they're understanding it right, whether you're speaking their language right. I'm going to have to stay there? Yeah, 15, 20 years? Yes. If we're going to see this task finished, someone's going to have to learn the language, show them, teach them, preach it, translate it, and build them up. It will not happen overnight. And we are foolish to believe otherwise. You with me? I just don't know how, I don't know how, plainly, how much more plainly to say it to you. It's just not going to get done with short-term mission trips. Now, is there a place for short-term mission trips? I think there is. We can have that conversation later. But if we're going to talk about finishing the task, someone's going to have to have a permanent long-term address change in order to see this thing through. Some friends of ours are serving in Papua New Guinea right now among a people group called the Wantakians. And when I say friends of ours, I'm talking college roommates, guys that I did life with, some very close friends of mine. And when they were in the middle of raising support, um, oftentimes when they would sit down and talk with people about raising support, <clears throat> people would ask them the question, well, how long is it going to take? And my friend John would tell them all the time, we are not going there for a time commitment. We are going there for a what? Task commitment. We're not going there for a time commitment because a lot of times when these people were talking about, you know, okay, you want me to support you, what were they really asking? <laughs> How long do I got to bankroll you, buddy? <laughs> okay, that's what's going on down in our hearts. How long is this going to go on? And John would tell them, it's not a time commitment, it is a task commitment. We'll stay there until the job is done. It's, it's not a time commitment, it's a task commitment. That's what we're talking about is finishing the task. T stands for tribal, H stands for... Hindu, what do we know about Hinduism? <clears throat> you guys know any, do you guys know anything about Hinduism? I don't want to assume you do or you don't, so I'm asking. Hmm? Okay, they're polytheistic. That sounds like a fancy word. Tell me what it means. Many gods. Poly, many, theism, God. So they believe in many gods. <clears throat> Lots of them. How many? 330 million. There are more gods in Hinduism than there are people in America. No lie. Whatever you want your God to be in Hinduism, you can make it. 
Legitimately, if you want this water bottle, this plastic bottle to be your God, you can give it a name. And you can do what? Worship it, pray to it, bow down to it, give food to it, offer sacrifices to it. I'm not poking fun. I spent a summer in India in 2006, and there were gods everywhere in India. On their dashboards, in their cars, in the closets of their house, on the shelves, gods everywhere. They got gods for, you name it, whatever you want, they got a god for it. God for health, God for money, <clears throat> God for fertility, just start filling in the blank. They got a god for whatever you need. And so we're talking about 330 million different gods. <clears throat> Whenever I was there in 2006, I had a Hindu friend of mine take me into a temple. And uh, this little stone right here was in the temple. And he was an incredible friend. Um, I mean this, I miss him to this day. I haven't been in touch with him for a long, long time. But um, we went into the temple and I asked my friend, I said, uh, tell me about this little stone right here. Because what was happening was, was up at the top, you'll see this little gold water basin. <clears throat> People would... Um, basically, they would dip water out of that basin, and then they would reach down and they would, they would touch the stone. Does anybody know what this stone is, by chance? Okay, it's called the Shiva Linga. Anybody ever watched Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? Thank you very much, your name. Faithful, Kevin, you're a faithful Indiana Jones fan. <laughs> Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Indiana crashes, right? Crashes his airplane in this river, the Ganges River, and he rolls into this tribe, and what ends up happening, Kevin? There's this tribal leader, this Hindu, excuse me, I'm confusing terms now. <laughs> There's this Hindu leader among this rural people group, and he gives Indiana Jones this assignment to go find the what, Kevin? The Shiva Linga. Some of you guys are like, I got to go watch Indiana Jones, okay? Interesting how much of these things have crept their way into um, American culture. What is the Shiva Linga? It's the phallus. It's the phallus of one of their gods. Can't answer that one. Sorry, Noah. <laughs> you have to talk to your mom about that one later. Serious, bud. It's the male phallus of one of their gods. Why are they in here worshiping this male phallus? For fertility. Because they're Wives are struggling to have children. And some of you look at this and you go, really? It's that bad? Yeah. Those things that we read about in the Old Testament, these other nations, these gods and things that they worshipped, oh, that must be a thing of the past. No, it's still going on in the world today. That people are so lost in such darkness, cut off from access to the gospel, that they would find themselves worshipping a stone that represents the male phallus of one of their other gods. Here's another thing, too. That's not James, Jesus' brother, in case you're wondering. <laughs> That's Ganesh. Ganesh is one of the many gods in Hinduism. And so why do I put this picture up here? Because if we're going to talk about finishing the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, let's say that we take a trip to India right? And here we go. We load up 10 or 15 people from church and we go to India and we're going to go on a short-term trip. We're going to share the gospel with all these Hindus. And we go over there and man, we figure out how to get a translator, etc., etc., And we start sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden, all these Hindus, when we tell them, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? All these Hindus say what? Yes. Yes, we would. 
Why are they saying yes? Because they're just throwing him on the what? Throwing him on the pile. Let's make it 330 million and one. And so then we come home, we come home and we tell all these war stories about how we led 200 Hindus to Christ. Oh, there are all these people that came to faith in Jesus. And we come home and they are as lost as they were before the day we ever stepped foot in their country. You see why this is, see where this gets hairy? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. So it's not enough just to go ask them if they want to receive Jesus because 99% of the time, what are they going to say? You bet. I'll take him. What can he do for me? Ganesh, well, he has this specific power, and that's what I go to him for. And then, you know, the Shiva Linga has fertility power, and that's the God that I go to. So what can Jesus give me? Can, does he got a little something he can give me? So we got to think about the language that we use. That's why understanding culture is so significant to finishing the task. The more I talk about this, the more you guys are like, it's, we're never going to get this thing done. This is so discouraging. No, no, no. Hang with me. <clears throat> okay. T stands for tribal. H stands for U stands for. This one's tricky. It's actually China. <clears throat> Some of you are totally puzzled right now. Don't worry. We had to take the U. If you kick it over on its side, you get a C. <clears throat> Thuckum wouldn't work because it's real close <clears throat> to. Uh, <clears throat> so we, uh, yeah. Obviously, China is not a world religion. China is a nation state. So why do we throw it in with the rest of them? Well, because there's about one billion people on the planet who call themselves Chinese, which means about one in every seven people would consider themselves to be Chinese. So if we just sort of count it off, starting with John, it'd be one, two, three, four, five, six. And your name, sir? Mike. Mike's Chinese. <clears throat> okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Your name, bud? Nick? Nick's Chinese. You with me? They make up such a huge population on the planet that we actually group them in. So what do Chinese people believe in? <clears throat> Never forget sitting with a Chinese student at the university. Uh, where was it at? We were at a university, and I remember asking him, I said, what do they believe in China? And he said, in China, we believe in three things. We believe in ourselves. We believe in the government, <clears throat> the Chinese Communist Party, if you will and we believe in science. So generally speaking, you ask a Chinese person what do they believe, they're pretty much atheistic communist. They believe in themselves, the Chinese Communist Party, and science. So for the most part, they're unreligious. So if you wanted to figure out a way to work the you in, Chinese people are unreligious. They don't believe in anything <clears throat> other than themselves, the government, and science. Um, why does it matter? Well, because there are about 500 ethnic groups in China alone. So anybody who's kind of kept up with what God has been doing in China for the last 40 or 50 years, there's a lot to celebrate. Um, Pre-World War uh, II, I think there was about a million Protestants um, in China pre-World War II. And in the last 50 years, we estimate that there might be somewhere of 50 upwards of 100 maybe 120 million um, Christians in China. So God's been doing some remarkable things in China for the last 50 years. We've got a lot to celebrate. But what we've got to keep in mind as we talk about finishing the task is that almost all of those people come from one ethnic group, the Han Chinese. 
So while we can celebrate the fact that there's probably 50 to 100 million people in China who've now come to faith, most of them come from a single ethnic group. There's over 500 ethnic groups in China alone. T stands for? Tribal. Tribal. H stands for? U. M. Muslim. What do we know about Islam? Muslim is a follower of Islam, by the way, right? Islam is the religion. So Muslims, what do they believe? Okay, they believe in Islam. Good, someone got it. <laughs> okay, thank you. What do we know about Islam? Well, there are five pillars of Islam. It's a works-based religion. Um, it has a single founder, Muhammad. It has a single holy book, the Quran. Uh, five pillars of Islam. You guys think you know what they are? Let's take a stab at them. Jihad is not one of them. So just to, I'm serious. Some people think it is. Um, jihad's not one of them. So what do we think the five pillars of Islam are? What's that? Hajj, okay, which is what? Okay, so they take this pilgrimage to Mecca. Like once in their lifetime, if they can afford it, they literally go to Mecca for like a single day of worship. Okay, so the Hajj, what are the other ones? We know? They, they pray five times a day. Good. They give alms, so they give money, right? They give like a 2% alms, 2.5% alms giving. Okay, so we got three of them. We're doing good. So we make a trip to Mecca. We pray five times a day. We give money. We fast during the month of Ramadan. <clears throat> and then we recite the creed. What is the creed? There is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You ever wonder where those five things come from? Well, 570, 600 A.D., Muhammad is caught in the thicket of polytheism and Judaism. So Islam is birthed essentially with the founder, Muhammad, in 570 A.D. when he's born. And in Mecca, the city that he lived in, they worship, right? When you look at pictures of Mecca, there's that black box, the Kaaba. In those days, it was full of multiple gods. So polytheism was rampant in Mecca in the days of Muhammad. And he goes into a cave, gets a vision from Gabriel. There's only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That's the creed. You recite that, you say that, you believe it, you're a Muslim. And so he goes back into Mecca and begins to tell all these polytheists that there's only what? One God. They kick him out of town. He flees to Medina, gathers a group of people, comes back into Mecca, overthrows the city, and starts Islam. That's a simple story of what happens. But where does he get these five pillars? Well, he interacted with Jews in the day. And so, what do Jews do? They take three trips a year to what city? Jerusalem. So Muhammad dials it down to one. Jews prayed how many times a day? Seven. What was it, seven? I think it's seven. Somebody go check me on that. I think it was seven, and so he dials it back down to five. You guys need to check me on that. But basically, he builds his system off of Judaism. So Jews gave what percentage of their income? Ten. He dials it back to two and a half. What were the other ones? Jews fasted. Maybe Muslims should fast. They re Jews recited a creed. And what was the Jewish creed? There is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. So he just robs these five things and builds Islam off of it. Now, <clears throat> what we understand about Islam today is mostly shaped by the news. And I don't care whether you watch Fox or CNN, it makes no difference. Okay, They get a bad rap, bottom line. <clears throat> 
And most of the time when we think about Islam, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Terrorists, that's exactly right. Now, are there terrorists within Islam? Are there terrorists in the US? Let's not be naive. Yes, but the vast majority of them are just like what? You and me. They're coming to this country because they're chasing the same thing that my dad told me that I needed to chase, the American dream. And they're trying to pay their bills, <clears throat> follow their religious beliefs, take care of their family, and improve their life. Some of them are terrorists, and they'll come here, and they'll threaten our safety, our comfort, and our security, won't they? And what we have to remind ourselves is that Jesus' top priority is not my safety, my comfort, and my what? Security. It's his glory, and it's gathering people back to himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so whether we go there or they come here, he's still fulfilling his purpose. So don't let the media shape your understanding of Islam. Actually, go befriend somebody who follows Islam. Go befriend somebody who's a Muslim. Ask them questions and be a good learner. You might find yourself in a situation like I shared this morning with Hussein. Remember that guy who I shared with, it was from Mauritania who followed Islam, who actually came to faith and was truly born again through simply reading the scriptures. They're not all terrorists, they're not, okay? Uh, B, already gave it away, <clears throat> Buddhism. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. Buddhism is basically a philosophy. Um, it's kind of a way of life. It's not really uh, a religion, if you will. A good Buddhist, um, it's works-based, just like all of these other non-Christian religions. You're trying to work your way to heaven or work your way to God. Uh, Buddhists follow what's called the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truth, and they're trying to get off this wheel of reincarnation. And so by following the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, <clears throat> by being a good person, so to speak, what you're trying to do is reach enlightenment. And the, the best way I've heard a Buddhist explain enlightenment to me is sort of like, you reach this state of nothingness. Some of you are looking at me like, he is speaking a foreign language. It's very difficult to understand, <clears throat> but nothingness, nirvana, has been described sort of like a thimble of water being dumped into the ocean. It just sort of disappears. And so that's what a Buddhist is trying to do, is they're trying to reach nirvana, this state of enlightenment and nothingness. So these are the five major religions that shape what's going on in the 1040 window. If they don't believe in Jesus, what do they believe in? Probably one of these five things here or some form of that. So if we're gonna talk about finishing the task, we better know something about what? This culture and these religious beliefs. So let me take us all the way back to the beginning. What's an unreached people group? Means they have no, what is a nation? It's an ethnic group, right? What is the 1040 window? It's, it's not the easy, like I told you this morning, it's not the tax form, 1040 easy. And these are the major religions that are inside that box. So check this slide out right here. All these little green dots represent 50,000 Muslims. All these little orange dots represent 50,000 Buddhists. And all these, well, <laughs> yellow dot, <laughs> represent 50,000 Hindus. India is the largest concentration of Hinduism in the world. So we're talking 50,000 per green dot, per orange dot, per yellow dot. 50,000 Christians per blue dot. And where are the Christians not? In the 1040 window. Which I said earlier, if that's gonna change, someone's going to have to have a permanent long-term address change. So, for every 100 Missionaries that we send out, as the video shared this morning that I showed you, 96 of them are going to other parts of the world. Now, 
and only how many are going to the box? Roughly 2 to 4%. I want to be real careful to say something right here. Are the 96 that aren't going to the 1040 window, are they disobedient, worthless Christians? <laughs> no. Because you can share these statistics right here and it comes across that way. Well, all those missionaries that are serving overseas that aren't inside the box, they must not be listening to the Lord. No, I'm not saying that that's the case. But why are the statistics this way? Why might they be this way? Hang with me for a few more minutes. I got the pizza in mind. Don't worry. <clears throat> so we're like, come on, land the plane, buddy. Why do we think it might be like this? Why aren't people going inside the box? What's that? It's difficult. They're called unreached for a reason. <laughs> They're hard to reach. Other reasons why the stats might shake out this way? Yeah. It's dangerous. 80 to 90% of the world's civil unrest exists inside that box right there. Yeah. They might be closed borders. You can't walk in with your passport stamp missionary. We're here. Doesn't work that way. You got to think of creative ways to get inside those countries just to preach the gospel. You may have to go work there uh, as an engineer or a doctor or a business person or whatever to have a legitimate reason to be in the country just to get access in there. I saw a hand. Sir. Yeah, okay, so what? Your name, sir? Steve, what Steve is saying is, to say I'm a Muslim, right, that's just who I am. Like, my, my identity and my religion is all swept up into a single thing. And it, it, that's, it's kind of complicated. I know what you're saying, Steve, but it's kind of complicated. Basically, to say that you're um, an Indian, to say that you're an Indian is to say that you're Hindu. To say that you're Hindu is to say that you're Indian. It's all hand and glove. Okay, other reasons why? Gary, go ahead. Oh, yes, that's right. We actually have an enemy in Christianity. <laughs> Newsflash. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He is the father of lies. Oh, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to destroy families, homes, all of it, to keep us from finishing a task, an assignment, a mission. Absolutely. We wage war not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against spiritual principalities. There is a spiritual warfare that exists unseen to us in this room tonight in the world and he would have us to believe lies about ourselves be confused about what the task is be unclear about how to define it all of that he would love for us to be confused and divisive over while this waits and God's glory it's not ultimately about these people getting saved it's about God getting the glory that he's due and he's honor <clears throat> in honor of all that, yeah. Other reasons why? Give me a couple more and then we're going to roll on. Yeah, somebody. There is a massive misunderstanding among churches in America today about what the Great Commission is. 
if I can just be vulnerable with you guys, why do I come to these things? It's for that reason, Linda. It's to come here to try to say, until we get it defined, we are going to be busy doing good things. And we can be very, we got to be careful because we can pat ourselves on the back. And we're not one step closer. Why do I come to these things? Because this kind of stuff right here is what keeps me up at night. And the fact that there are thousands of Christians in this country who are unclear about it. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is your deal. You made the mess. <laughs> you with me? We got to get clear on this. If we're not clear on the Great Commission, we're just, we can be spinning our wheels in the name of good things. Good things, not bad things, good things. Myra, were you going to say something or was there a hand over here? Sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to <clears throat> reel in. Today, this is the good news. This is where we turn the corner to hope. Now that we got some, some flesh on what is the Great Commission, what is the mission of the church, here's the good news. There's about 550. These are conservative figures. 550 churches for every one unreached people group. What's that tell us? Wow! <laughs> We've got the what? We got the manpower. This is awesome. Here's the other good news. <clears throat> There's plenty of money within the evangelical church. Uh, this is a diagram, and let me unpack it for you real quick. This picture over here on the left is to represent Mount Everest. Anybody know how high Mount Everest is? 29,028 feet, top of the world is what they call it. 29,028 feet. If this figure, this little picture of Mount Everest, it is to represent the $42 trillion in annual income that exists within the evangelical church. So there's about $42 trillion in annual income that exists within the local church, and that's represented by that picture of Mount Everest that stands at 29,028 feet. When I got on an airplane and flew here yesterday in a commercial jet airliner, what, where do they fly? 28 to 35,000 feet, they're flying. So the next time you get in an airplane, I want you to think what? Here we are, Mount Everest, we're up at the top of the world, and that's how much income exists within the evangelical church. This next picture, the football field, represents the money that is given to Christian causes, all Christian causes, not just missions, but all Christian causes. So 1.8% of the $42 trillion is given to what? All Christian causes. <clears throat> the basketball goal represents the 5% of the 1.8% of the $42 trillion <clears throat> that is given to foreign missions. With me? $42 trillion, 1.8% of it goes to all Christian causes. 5% of that goes to foreign what? Missions. This golf ball over here represents the 1% of the 5% of the 1.8% of the $42 trillion that is given to seeing unreached people groups reached with the gospel. Is there plenty of money in the church? Oh, you bet there is. 
There really, really legitimately is. Even in light of the fact that Christians give so little, there's still an immense amount of money. So why do I show you this little illustration? To say that the next time you climb into an airplane and you fly at 29,000 feet, I want you to try to look out the window and imagine seeing a what? Golf ball. That's what we're talking about. So is it, is it possible? Could we see this thing finished? You bet. Let's say that we sent teams of 10. We sent teams of 10 to the 7,000 unreached people groups. That's a, that's, a, that's a big team, right? Most teams, four to six people. So if we sent a big team of 10 people to the 7,000 unreached people groups that are out there, the 5,800 that are in the 1040 window and the other 1,200 that are outside, teams of 10, how many missionaries is it going to take, class? 70,000? How many evangelicals are we talking about? Over 550? I heard Gary laugh. <laughs> okay. How many evangelicals are we talking about? 550 million. How many does it take? How many would it take to finish this great commission? 70,000. A drop in the bucket. How about the money? Well, okay. <clears throat> 3 billion in annual support. 41 trillion, depending on which figure you take. We've got plenty of money to get the job done, too. So why do I share all this? To say, what is the task remaining? Taking the gospel to those who are unreached. Do we have the money? Do we have the bodies? Jesus gave this invitation. He told this parable. This guy put on this big banquet. He said, come to this party. And all of them gave what? Let's eat some pizza. And then we'll wrap up in session four. Father, thank you. There's no way to talk about this stuff without being sobered, being prodded, being challenged. There's just no way to talk about it, but we have to hear it. God, thank you for revealing these things to us. God, you will finish this thing. Whether we say yes or no, you have made a promise to Abraham and you have fulfilled that promise in heaven. We see one day every tongue, tribe, and nation standing around you. And so, Father, I am asking you to please, myself included, to conquer my sin, to conquer my excuses, to conquer the lies that I'm believing, to conquer my pride and my resistance to participating with you and saying yes to such an incredible invitation to make you known, worshipped, and as John said, glorified among every tongue, tribe, and nation. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do a work that only you can do in our hearts in light of what we know now to be true. Lord, we believe, but help and conquer our unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.